how many believe there is more? If you don't believe there's more, then you got a boring God. Hey, you're listening to the There Is More podcast. This episode is sponsored by Send Me Refuge. Send Me Refuge is a Christian mission organization currently based in Tapachula, Mexico. They reach far beyond simply telling others about Christ. We are all called to serve the nations for Jesus, and that's exactly what Send Me Refuge does. They show the light by equipping others, serving, and by just showing the love of Jesus to all people. There are many different ways to serve with Send Me Refuge, including digging water wells, construction, medical missions, shoe ministry, sewing ministry, food ministry. You name it, they got a way to serve. They also host a vacation Bible school for families in that area. So for more information, if you want to partner with them, if you want to go on a mission trip, if you just want to give some money, go to SendMeRefuge.com. Read about their story in the About Us section on their website and how it all got started. I promise you it's an incredible story that needs to be shared it needs to be heard. Go to sendmerefuge.com. All right, welcome to There Is More Podcast with my co-host Stephen Nix, and we have Andrew Johnson in today. And if you are anywhere from the South or listening in Alabama, you probably had to swim to work today. It, it's ridiculous. And I, I kind of want to get James Spann back on to figure out, like, like what is he doing, man? Yeah, like this is all his fault. It, it is his fault. That's what I'm I thinking don't too. Point fingers, but he's a problem. I'm like James. <laughs> you got to give us some sunny days, man. I didn't see him post. We're going to have two sunny days this weekend, but yeah, we're excited to have another episode, and it, it's cool to, to have Andrew in today. Not only as just as a fellow firefighter, but it, we haven't even been talking less than five minutes, and to already hear him just speaking about Jesus and things that's going on in his life, his family's life, and and hearing that his faith and hope is in the Lord, and that we nice. uh, we know he's got some. Great testimonies of what God is, has done and still doing in his life. That's right. I've known Andrew for a long time. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess, uh, you know, me, me and Andrew grew up in the same neighborhood, So, which is the neighborhood we're actually in right now. Nice. And um, we're, we're part of a, a pretty pretty close-knit uh, clan, is, I guess is what I can call That's it. That's right. The North Gardendale Mafia. That's right. <laughs> the NGM for life. Yes. So uh, we, we used to, I, I don't even know, dude, we, we used to have a treehouse. Remember the treehouse we had behind Hearn's house we down did. there? Yeah. We had that, and uh, I mean, we just we just did some stupid stuff. So that was, uh, but yeah, we're, we're part of the North Gardendale Mafia, and it's a, it's a very close-knit family is, yes, sir. is what I like to yes. call it. So uh, um, yeah, but I, I'm excited to have Andrew on as well. He, he's, a, he's a fantastic guy. He's been through a lot. He's got some incredible stories. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just uh, it's it's pretty cool to see too. I was I was sharing this with somebody the other day. I was like, you know, uh, we used to do some some crazy stuff as as, as kids, and um, I'm pretty sure in this basement at some point there we used to probably like smoke pot and stuff in this basement. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. And, pretty and sure. if not in the basement, in the, in this vicinity of this that's area, right. one of these rows. And 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 now we have a Christian podcast. Now we're yeah. sharing the gospel. So yeah, God's uh, good, ain't he? God God's good. God changes lives. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely pretty cool to see. But, um, Andrew, we're going to go ahead and get started, man. If you just want to share your testimony, um, just tell us where, where God has taken you, man. I, I know from, from death to life, I mean, you know, that's what we talked about. Right. We had a guy named Madison Terry on a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about the most important thing is that salvation from death to life. So if you want to just share even the struggles you went through as, you know, as a teenager <laughs> in high school, things like that and we uh we just want to hear it man right right well man i appreciate y'all having me here steve and brent love you guys man you know it's an honor to be here with you guys but kind of taking you back like you said we grew up in this neighborhood yeah. um i lost my father to age 18 i was a senior in high school 
And uh, that was a pivotal moment for me. My father was a hero in my eyes. He was a firefighter. And I lost him due to the fact of uh, pills, prescription drugs, prescription mm-hmm. medicine. And um, you would think in someone's eyes, you know, that, hey, you see something like that, you know, would kind of shy away from it. But it was at that moment I really began to, uh, you know, look for something. I needed something in my life. I needed something to fill that void. And, you know, I'll take you back a little bit further. I grew up in Garnell First Baptist and yeah. um, under Steve Gaines. Yep. And, uh, I, I listen to every one of his sermons still to this day. I podcast them all and listen to them. You know, and I grew up in that church. And in about eighth grade, uh, another one of y'all's buddies, Andy Heiss, was my uh, children's pastor. Boy. Man, boy. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he said that said that a lot to me. That's and, right. Uh, I love the guy to death. And um, anyways, but... um. And so, you know, I did, we went to a youth camp and I walked the aisle and said the prayer and came back and got baptized, you know. But I can look back on that moment and just see that I fell into some religion. I f- fell into some formality and uh, it was just something that I did. It wasn't heartfelt. And um, and I'll never forget a lady gave me a letter and it was pretty cool. I found that like now we have Facebook, we can connect with the world. And so I shared that letter and a, a video of everything of that letter and we connected with the lady. But it pretty much said that Andrew's going to become, you know, someone who loves the word and shares the word and stuff like that. And so we we fast forward a little while, you know, and I kind of wandered away from the faith and I went back into my old lifestyle. And then, like you like I said earlier, when my dad passed away, I was just looking for something, you know, and um, I was hanging around with people I probably shouldn't have been hanging around with. And just one thing led to another. I got into pills, got into alcohol, got into marijuana and other drugs and stuff like that. And I just lived that lifestyle for a long time. And uh, it was just pretty much instant gratification, but it never brought true hope. Yeah, It never brought anything uh, other than just masking the problems that was there. And, you know, then it came a point in time, you know, as my dad was a fireman, I wanted to become a firefighter. And so I was like, well, you know, obviously I can't do all this being a fireman. And so what did I do? I just kind of shifted my lifestyle to prescription drugs. You know, it has my name on the bottle. I'll just take, you know, it's mine. Nobody can do anything about it. And so... I went to work at Birmingham in 2004 at an early age of, uh, I think I was 20, 21. And so I worked there for a long time, you know, battling with prescription drugs. And, and um, it was just my lifestyle, you know, alcohol, prescription drugs, partying, drinking, going out and doing things like that. And so um, there come a time in June of 2000 and um, I want to say 2011, uh, you know, I had met my uh, wife now in 2006 and we had dated for a while and this was in 2011 and we had been married about three months and I was at the fire station and I'll never sh- forget she called me and she said uh, you know we was talking and everything she said have you been taking something and I was like no she said well, okay well that's good well I'm going to get a drug test and I'm going to bring it to your work and you're going to take it and if you fail it I'm going to tell your boss you're going to get fired I'm going to divorce you and your oh, life will be over oh my right. goodness yeah, and she so ain't playing it, it was at that moment because you know before that we have back and forth back and forth struggled and yeah. I've lied and I've tried to cover it up you know what I mean it was yeah. kind of like the tipping point for her She's she, like, she knew I'm done yeah. wow now here we are we're married and you're still in this garbage and so so I said, I pretty much told the guys, I said, I got to leave. I got to go home. Because she told me, she said, you need to, matter of fact, just down the road, she said, meet me at your house. I was living with my mom at the time. And, uh, you know, we're going to discuss this and fix it. And so this is June 2011. And um, she said, do you want 
me and the family or do you want your friends and all the drugs and everything else? And I said, well, obviously I want my family. So at that day, that moment, I made a decision. I was like, okay, I'm done. No more pills, no more nothing. And so that carried on like that. And I had some friends in my life uh, that I had to separate from, some which are not with us no more because they continued down that path. And then come July, the very next year, we're at the beach with the family. We go to the beach every year. And uh, my son was three months old uh, or three or four months old. And I remember being out there on the beach. Everybody, you know, having a good time. And so I remember having my beer, and I would pour it in a cup, you know. And I remember thinking to myself, how how can I hide this and then expect my kids not to do it, you know. Yeah. And, it, you know, I just, just – I had this feeling. And so that was July the next year. I said, I'm done with that. I'm, I'm done with alcohol, you know, because me and my wife had argued over the next few years, like, look, I ain't going to do drugs, but I'm going to drink my beer. I'm going to come home, and I'm going to sit in my chair, and I'm going to drink my beer. You know what I mean? It was just one of those things I thought yeah. I had to have it. Yeah. And then it was a few months later. That was in 2012, and then a few months later, God convicted me. Well, it was God. I didn't know it was God at the time, but my language, you know, I, Brent, you've worked at fire stations before, mm-hmm. and it, it, it my language was just filthy. I mean, my wife would have to correct me all the time when I came home. She's like, "Hey, you're not at the fire station no more. You just, you know, you don't need to talk like that." Yeah. Well, those were the struggles in my life, and then I'll I'll take you to January the sixth, two thousand thirteen. I'll never forget. I woke up. I was at the fire station that morning. I I left work and I went to church that morning, and uh, man, God would God was just just drawn you know the bible says that no man comes to the father lest the father draws him and you know yeah. i just had that drawing you know and so after the message was over i'll never i can't even remember what the preacher preached about but i remember going to the altar and i remember praying god you know this is it you know and it was like he spoke to me he said andrew he says i want to use you i've got a plan for your life he said i have taken the alcohol away i've taken the drugs away i've taken the language away I've taken all these things because I want to use you, and now's the time. Now is the moment. And so, I gave my life to Christ that morning, and, uh, and you know, and, and, and actually, I thought I'd rededicated my life. But like I said, I realized that it wasn't a rededication; it was a redemption moment. There, God had really right. saved me in that moment because in eighth grade, I wasn't truly saved because I'm a firm believer: with no change, there's no Christ. So I didn't have any change in eighth grade, no conviction, no nothing. And so God saved me on that morning. I had no idea, man. I had I had no idea what to do. I didn't know where to go, what to do. And um, and so I just asked my preacher, Brother Steve Abney, which is my best friend, and I said, hey, what do I need to do? He said, you need to get a Bible. You need to start reading it. And I just started reading the Bible. I said, okay. And, guys, I, I'm not ashamed to admit this. I'll tell you all this. I was 20-something years old at the time. Grew up in Garnell First Baptist under one of the, probably the most phenomenal preachers of our time, Steve Gaines. Yeah, I didn't know who Saul and Paul. I didn't know Saul and Paul was the same dude. Yeah, that's you know, okay. I, I mean, there yeah, there it, might be somebody listening right now who doesn't right, know either. You know, I didn't know. Okay. I didn't know half of the stories in the Bible that I had been told over and over and over again. I was like, I, I just didn't know them. Yeah, and so, and I can share this with you. About six months before that, I was in the pastor's office. And uh, at our church in North Highland Baptist and Warrior, and I was there, and uh, and I was crying, and I was ready. I was at a I was at an end point of my life, and I was at a moment to where like something's got to change, something's got to be done. It's got to be more. 
Right. It's got to be more than what I'm doing here. Living this double lifestyle, living a lie, hiding these things. I, there, there's got to be something. And he, obviously he shared the gospel with me as any good man of God would do. And so I didn't get saved that moment. But on January the 6th, 2013 is when I got saved. And he told me to start reading the Bible. And guys, I tell you, I, I just started reading the Bible. And um, it's, it's so cool that you, that you say this because last night I was in church and a, a guy, Brother Phil Cronin, was was preaching. Pastor Kevin was sick, and so he, he asked Phil last minute, "Hey, can you can you preach for me?" And so his his message last night is based off of Romans one sixteen. It says, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes." And so basically, this saying, the gospel is the power of God. And we were talking about it this morning. I'm like, man, I said, the power is in the gospel. It's in the word of God. Yes. And so when, when, brother, when Brother Steve Abney says, go read the Bible, go read the Bible, because it, he, he knows God will speak to you through his word. It did. And, it, it, and I, he used to always kid with me because I was like, man, this is like a pop-up book. I mean, when I read it, it comes to life, you know, and he'd always joke with me about it. And it really did. You know, I, I was reading John for literally the first time in my life through and through. Yeah. And I was hearing things for the first time. And, uh, you know, so I started reading the Bible, and then it was this crazy feeling, man. Every time I'd come to church, I felt this urge, like, I need to get up there and say something. I need to get up there and say something. And I was like, uh, and then like six <laughs> months later, I'm thinking, like, <laughs> it's like, am I getting called to preach, you know? I mean, I, I don't know which way to go, you know? And we prayed about it and everything, and it was, you know? God had calling me to preach. And, uh, and so about, and so my pastor, he said, well, let me know when you're ready. You know, I was like, oh, my gosh. I don't know anything. And, man, these are the greatest words you could ever give anybody in their life. He looked at me. He says, tell them what you know. God, wow, this, is, this, is, this is so good. This is he tell said, what you know. Yeah. Tell them what you know. He said, Andrew, you don't have to know the whole Bible. Tell them what you know. You know Jesus. You know Jesus saved you. Tell them what you know. And I'll never forget that because I was like, man, these guys have been preaching for years and they're, they got Bible stories and all this stuff. And he's like, just get up there and tell them what you know. And I'll never forget my first message in September, uh, maybe the 22nd or the 15th, something like that. I preached on the armor of God. Mm. And, you know, and ever since then, I've hit the ground running. And I've preached. It started out brotherhood breakfasts. It started out sharing my testimony. Yeah. It started out going to youth group. Wherever you would have me, I would go preach. And then, you know, as I would preach and as I would study obviously we begin to grow and mature and uh you know I begin to learn the bible and learn scripture and stuff like that and so we go back to uh or we we fast forward to 2015 and I'll never forget this guys the same office that I was in before in 2013 maybe 2012 crying my eyes out ready to, ready just to give up on life saying you know what's next you yeah. know is there any more I was in the same office with the same guy, and he was asking me. He said, man, I've been praying. He said, God's laid on my heart, but I want you to be our children's pastor. <laughs> what? Yeah, and I, you know, oh. I'm like, children's pastor? You know, I, mean, I, you know I, I don't know, man. I've always loved kids and stuff like that, but <laughs> here I am today, you know, in 2020, I'm the children's pastor at North Highland Baptist Church, you know, That's and awesome. I, I, I love it. I love what I do. I, I love everything about it, man, and God has – done a whole lot between then and now yeah and uh, god's really worked in my life and opened my eyes to a lot of things and i had to really um i had to separate myself from people yeah 
And uh, not that I don't love them. Uh, I, I love everybody, you know, just as Jesus loved everybody. But there's things I had to put first. And I said, and I'll tell you this, um, you know, I didn't really know what love was until I met Christ. And uh, when I met Christ, I got to experience the greatest heartfelt, true, undeniable, unmatched love that we could ever feel. And it taught me how to love my wife. It taught me how to love my children. It taught me how to love other people. It taught me how to love the unlovable. And man, ever since then, God's given me a passion to reach people, to share people. And more than anything, he's given me a passion for his word and to learn his word, to study his word, and to know his word because I want, my desire in my life is to reach as many people for the Christ and for the kingdom of God as possible. I, I think there's one common denominator right now with all the guests that we've had on this show has been to get in the word. That's there, it. There's, there's, there's been a comment. Everybody we've had, we've talked about how important it is to get in the word. I talked to Lynn Hurst last week. Yeah. Okay. Great man. Phenomenal guy. And we were talking about some stuff. He, and, he, and he told me, he said, you know, God is calling me to get back to the basics. And he said, God's called me to get in his word, to memorize scripture, start doing these things. And and, and that's what he said. And I'm like, I'm like, Lynn, I said, that's that's me too, man. And that's a lot of people right now. I feel like God's calling us and bringing us back, saying, get back to the basics, get in the word. That's, that's so good. That's where the that's where the meat and the gravy is. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the word of God and knowing the word of God and 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 and, and understanding the word of God. You know, even so much as uh having my time with God in the mornings, you yeah. know, uh, I'm not a morning person, but you know, having that moment, I shouldn't say moment, having that, that, t that time set apart that, you know, I'm in the word of God and I'm praying guys, listen, I'm, I, it, my family started last year. We, we have one word every year, you know, people do resolutions, mm -hmm. yeah. resolutions burn out, we, but we have a word and we write it down in the refrigerator. Last year, my word was prayer. And I said, I want to be more devoted in prayer than I do anything else. You yeah. ask any, uh, any pastor, you know, Brother Steve said the other day in a message, Brother Steve Gaines said, you know, the man of God should, before he stands up and speaks for God, should kneel down and speak with God. You know what I'm saying? So mm, we good. should we we should spend time in prayer before we do anything. And we, God wants the first part of our check, but he also wants the first part of our day. That's good. You know, we get up and we commune with God, spend time with God, and, and, and you know, we have that time. And, uh, and so, man, I'm so thankful for the Word, so thankful for... No, Jesus. I mean, you yeah. know, where would I be without him? I don't know. I, I want to take you back to that. Uh, you said earlier that there was a, a, a lady that wrote a letter who who, who basically prophesied um, in a sense and said that you would, you know, be sharing the gospel, um, that you'd be doing those things. Um, yeah, Andrew's currently looking for this letter, so uh, it, it obviously means it means a lot to him. So. Um, but that's pretty phenomenal that that this this person would speak life, and 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 honest honestly to the point where she did prophesy in, in a sense because you're doing all those things that she said, you know, in in this letter. And you had to navigate uh, at one point from from religion of having a head knowledge and not a heart knowledge, and then kind of working your way through that. And you can kind of see where God had kind of kind of weaved in and out to even going to like youth camps or being with Andy and then meeting yeah. with one of your friends and then religion getting pushed out and you finding true love. Can you read that letter to yes, us? Yes, sir. Read it to us. Well, I'll tell you, um, okay, so we were in youth camp and... Um, do you mind sharing who wrote it? I don't... Um, do, you, do you know who wrote it? I think her name's Debbie. Her name is Debbie. She's on Facebook. We, we, we've never met. Uh, but 
it was cool because I got to you, ask you've her ne- about You've it. never met. No, we never met. We never even met that day. I mean, how did she, how did how, how did you know? get this letter? So we're at youth camp and um, we go to like the auditorium and to do the, the corporate worship and uh, and so we come back and there's a letter and there's two other people that got a letter too. I can't remember who they are, but there was a letter on my bed with my name on it and I read this letter and I'm going to read it to you. It says this, Andrew, because of God's unfailing love, the Lord is going to rise up in Andrew's life. Andrew has scorned and trampled the things of God up until this point. But the Lord is going to show him exactly who he is. He's going to stir his heart towards righteousness. Andrew will become a man of the word and will be and will love the word of God and will be used of the Lord to share the word with others. Andrew's misery and oppression will leave him as soon as he sees the awesome deeds from the right hand of God. My I, goodness. How old I, were you when you got this? I was seventh, eighth grade. <laughs> Good grief. And so I'll never forget. I think taking I remember this home. hearing about this about some people getting letters at a church camp too. Right. And I so like, I, like this was as soon as you started saying that, it, it kind of hit me. I'm like, I remember back. this as a kid. Like I, And I this letter, like I'm trying to think of the lady's name. I took it home and gave it to my now my mom, she she just held on to it forever. And so I would read this periodically, and it wouldn't mean a whole lot. And then I'll never forget after I got saved and you know, really started living for the Lord. My mom said, um, do you remember that letter? I was like, you know, what letter are you talking about? And she gave it to me, guys. And I'm telling you, when I, this time, I read it. And it had a whole different meaning. I mean, I was weeping. I, I'm sure. Because this was, this was, I was supposed to get it in eighth grade. That mm. was my time. I believe that God was moving on my life, but I just missed it. But you know, the good thing about it is we have a God that will pursue you, and He comes after you. You know, reckless love. There's no wall. I won't tear. Uh, no shadow. I won't light up. You know the song. Mm-hmm. I, I, but He just kept on and kept on. You know, and I think about my life that I lived, um, the things that I did, the things that I put in my body, the times that I got behind the wheel intoxicated, the places that I went, the things that I saw, the things that I said. But every day. I came home and I, I and I went to bed. God gave me enough grace and enough mercy to wake up, knowing that I may do it again. But He kept giving me grace and He kept giving me mercy and He protected me. And man, eventually, He just kept pursuing me and kept pursuing me. And and I got it on January six, two thousand thirteen. And you know, then I got this letter and I started reading it again, and it just came to life. And I keep a copy of it everywhere that Was I it go. Debbie Sample. Does that name sound familiar? That name sounds familiar. De- Debbie Sample. It might be Debbie that. Or I, I I think it is because w- was was it at Gardendale First Baptist where you it went was, to camp? I was. She had a son named Nick Sample, and her, and his his dad Philip Sample. He drives a school bus at Snow Rogers where where my daughter goes to school, and and he was they were really big into into prayer at the church. So I think they were part of the prayer ministry at one time. So it it would it would make sense to me if uh, if if that's her. I, it it doesn't really matter if it's her or not, but. Um, that story is well. It's it was uh when I put it on Facebook, I connected with the lady, and she, you know, and I, and I really asked her about it, and uh, I'm trying to see if I can pull it up, and I really asked her about it, and just kind of, she said, I didn't know you, Andrew. She said, God laid it on my Golly. heart to write this letter to you, <laughs> and uh, and to to write this thing. What's cool is is that is that our God he he like you said he continues to to stand at the door and to knock in our lives knowing that there's not there's gonna be times that we're not gonna open ourselves to him and allow him to come in and work, 
like that eight year old, eight years old for you, he, he was knocking. But you know, and, it, and took, it, it took longer. Yeah, I, I'll say this too: this was at a time period in that church where God was doing some powerful things, some some really really cool things. Pastor Steve Gaines was a pastor then, and and that church was experiencing God in ways that they've never experienced before in the past. Like God's presence was strong in the church. Like every worship service was powerful. Um, people were getting saved and baptized. Things like this were happening about this letter. I mean, it's just it's yeah. I think Garndale was leading in you know in the Baptist in in Alabama. I think Garndale was leading in baptism, baptism you know, yeah. and stuff like that. And God, God, was, God was moving yeah, strong at absolutely. the at the church. Then, I'm not saying he's not now. God's moving in, in many different places, but there was something different back then, and, and a lot of people were just. God was just showing off. And oh yeah, and you, you know, I'll share this. Uh, you know, I had a chance to preach at Garndale First Baptist, and I'll never forget during the message, I shared a point. I was like, you know, I was that boy, I was that guy that you didn't want your daughter dating, and that you didn't want your kids hanging out with, and you know, you you didn't want them to go nowhere around Andrew because of what Andrew did, you know. And I'll never. Forget I got after, to hang out with Andrew. Yeah, and, and so <laughs> so after the message, I'll never forget. Some parents came up to me and they said. You know, that was me. I didn't want my children around you. You know, I was a terrible influence, guys. I I I really was, and I'm not ashamed to say. Hey, it. can I tell a funny story real quick? Go ahead. <laughs> I remember I remember being in high school. I don't know what grade you were a grade above me, so I think it might I might have been a freshman or sophomore or something like that. But I remember getting in that big old was it a red blazer you used to have? Oh yeah, K five. That K five. Yeah, I remember getting this big old K five. And, uh, and I was like, where are we going? It was like me, you, and Gamble. Yeah. And I was like, where are we going? He's like, we're going to go fight some fight some guys or something. Like that. And we, we drove somewhere in the middle of the woods. I'm not really sure where we went. And we got out, and there was like 10 guys to us three. And you're like, <laughs> we ain't doing this. We got back in the blazer and drove off. That sounds like one of my stories. But, yeah. hey, I, I just just telling you, like, you know, what Andrew was saying, like, he was that guy, like, you know, I remember seeing Andrew pop some dudes right in the face at school. I mean, just getting in fights and stuff, you know. And it was. I'm a man. I'm forty. I'm a man. I'm forty. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, and and I'm not I'm not saying that to to tear Andrew down because I mean he you know he he's 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 just talking about his past. I'm just letting you know how much God has changed him. Um, I, so I it was really to, cool. I, I kind of want to transition, to, especially us being you know fellow firefighters and stuff like that. That your life is changing and your firehouse is which is your close knit and we're talking about a department he worked for uh, the city of Birmingham Fire Department they're very progressive they run I think this last year sixty seven thousand calls in a year um, what station were you at Thir well the last one I was at was at nineteen but I was at uh started off at thirteen and then uh, I went to a few other ones in between there and then I went to sixteen and then okay. wound up at yeah 19. so he's at some of the busiest stations in the city of Birmingham obviously uh, the biggest fire department in the state of Alabama thirty two stations six or seven hundred firemen so large department but your guys are seeing you transform from a guy that was coming in one way found Jesus found that true love I, I kind of want to know with the perspective of what the guys at the firehouse were seeing because I know there's a huge transition oh, yeah. there and then obviously we have another monumental time in the fire service we want to get to also and just kind of how this this plays out. Yeah, it was uh it was really uh, a dramatic change for some. Um, you know, I was the guy that sat at the table and we talked about anything and everything with explicit words involved and didn't care who was there or what officer was there. I just that was me, you know, I just didn't care. And you know, God began to change me and uh it, it's kind of one of those things where people get saved and, and you, you, you think, ah, you know, it's a dose of do good, or maybe it'll wear off or he'll be back. But, you know, I was determined. I was like, this is the real deal. You know, God's got a hold of me, 
and I begin to read the Bible and stuff like that. And then slowly but surely, people begin to see the change. Uh, you know, I went back to the station for the first month or first few year, first few months or maybe years, and you know, never things that I did. I may have slipped up and said a bad word, sure. or I may have got into a conversation I may have shouldn't. And you know what I'm saying? It's a process, guys. Just like the God was speaking to me this morning, and I was driving in the road, and I was thinking about. Uh, the day, the morning, and the night. You know, it doesn't. It's not like a switch. You don't go from dark to light. It's a process. It's a slow process. And the same way for, uh, um, you know, dark and you know, uh, dark when it becomes morning time. And so it's the same way as a Christian. It's a process. It's a. It's a. You growing into it and you it's mature. Sanctification. Process, Absolutely. Yeah. Every single day. Every single day. And so people begin to see the change. You know, someone would call me Reverend. Someone would call me preacher. You know, and stuff <laughs> like that. But I really, I really knew things were beginning to take hold when people started saying, "Hey, man, uh, you know." Of course, at my station, they would see me every third day. But then you bump into other stations and other people. You see them like, "Hey, man, you know, we pray for me, or can you pray for this, or can you pray for that?" You know, or something. Because I was also vocal and, you know, on Facebook. You know, I, yeah. I I just share scripture and videos and stuff like that. Hey, man, I like the videos and stuff. So it started growing on. I guess people started saying, "Hey, this is the real deal," you know. Uh, and it even got to the point to where people would say stuff, and they're like, oh, "Man, I'm sorry, Andrew. I, I, I'm sorry, man. I, I, I shouldn't have said that." And I was like, "You know, it's all right, man. I, you know, I forgive you. You know, whatever." And so people started recognizing in, in places that we started going and stuff like that. But there were times, you know, being a fireman. I'll just go ahead and tell you now, being a fireman is uh, can be difficult in times, especially living as a Christian, because you're around so many other people. Not everybody you work with is a believer. Not everybody you work with was raised like you, and not everybody you work with looks like you. Yeah. Right? And so we're all different in some way, shape, form, or fashion. And so you bring those differences together, and you're in a house for 24 hours together. Every third day. Every third day you're in that house. you got to eat together. You sleep in the same rooms. Not the same bed, just same room. Thank God. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> and uh, and so I would have been out on that one if that was the case. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and so, you know, sometimes you got females there. You know, you just yeah. bring in a whole lot of stuff to it. And so, you know, there was times in, you know, my Christian walk that I would see differences and I would hear things and unbelievers or whatever, and it was difficult. Yeah. And then you get out in the community, whether you work in Mountain Brook or whether you work in Birmingham or even go, it doesn't matter. And then you start to experience other people, and then, um, but making a difference in, in in other people's life is rewarding. Yeah. Physically, spiritually, mentally, or whatever you may be doing, and so it was a challenging, you know, and, and stuff like that. And I had friends that would, um, that uh, you know, that kind of walked the same line as me. But I, I remember one of uh, one of my good buddies. I mean, we worked together for a long time. He was a Catholic, and we didn't see. Eye to eye on things, sure. But we loved each other, yeah, and we cared about each other, and we would done anything for each other, you know. So, but uh, it was definitely a, a, a slow process. But then again, it, it, you know, God was with me through the way, and you know, and I used a lot of my downtime at the station to prepare sermons, yeah, and to work on you know studying and stuff like that. Let's let's talk about you know you're living your dream as a fireman. I mean, this is what you've wanted to do your entire life. You had that red K5 blazer for a reason. Yeah. You know, fire engine red, baby. <laughs> and um, so, I mean, you're you're living out your dream. And let, let's go ahead and get into that moment um, where, where basically, uh, you know, you, you guys get a call and you're going out to the call. Like, what's, what's going, it, you know, <clears throat> tell us what you can remember from that 
uh, and tell us exactly what happened, Brent. If you want to share some stuff too, from a you know yeah, technicality kind of set up a little bit. Birmingham Fire Department is it fights a lot of fire. I think the last year was around seven thousand fires for the year, I, give or take some numbers there. But that's a, I mean a lot of fires for the city. So you have been a part of a lot of fires, even some some other departments you worked at too. So firefighting has been your world. Yeah, you know, very experienced, trained, and uh, something changed on, on, on a moment. Yeah. Um. So. Like I said, you know, I started when I was 20, and I spent 13 years at Birmingham and yeah. uh, worked my way up all the way to the rank of lieutenant. Never thought I'd been a lieutenant. And uh, I got there, you know, and I was at Station 19, which is in East Lake. Uh, we did – Birmingham run a lot of fires. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just what we did, you know. I mean, it wasn't uncommon to get a fire maybe one or one or two fires a week. Sometimes in the wintertime or if they had an arson, I mean, you get one or two in a shift. Yeah. I mean, it, it just wasn't nothing, you know what I mean? It's, it, it's so – you know, we fought a lot of fires, and, and uh, you know, but uh, I'll never for So we had just moved from Hayden to Warrior, where we live currently. Uh -huh. We had just bought our house there in Warrior, and um, we had had it for about two months. We'd been working on it and stuff like that. So we had just moved in uh, the house. We had been there maybe one night. Maybe the night before the accident was the first night we ever slept there. My uh -huh. son uh, was fixing to start going to Warrior Elementary, and so... You know, I love the city of Warrior. You know, right. uh, ever since I was 14, I started volunteering at Warrior Fire That's Department. Right. I remember that. And, uh, you know, they taught me a lot. And th in Warrior, I met my wife. And then now we go to church in Warrior. I'm a children's pastor in Warrior. So it's just a very special place to me. I love Garndale, too. Yeah. But so we come in, we clock in, normal day from what I remember. You know, we run a few medical calls, uh, you know. You know, we probably went to the hospital two or three times. I can't remember. We had dinner. Well, I was tired that night. I'll never forget. I went up there in an officer's court. I said, I just, hey, guys, I'm going to go lay down and go to sleep. And I went to sleep. And the next thing I know, about 1.30 in the morning, the tones go off for a house fire. Now, granted, I mean, it's very possible this could have happened. So it was just another fire. Uh, and, and Brent may have heard this, but a lot of people say routine fire. To me, there's no such thing as a routine fire, just like there's no such thing as a routine traffic stop. Yeah. It's just not everything, every house, every moment, every scenario, every situation is different. Too many different variables. Yes. And if you start treating it as routine, that's where problems happen. But anyways, we get the call of a house fire, uh, people possibly trapped inside two o'clock in the morning and I'm on the rescue unit. And so, you know, in my battalion, our battalion chief, he didn't mind the rescue unit, you know, fighting fire or doing search and rescue. Right. And, uh, you know, I was one of those that even though I was a lieutenant, if I could get in there, I want it in there. That's just yeah. me. I want it in there. You're a fireman. Yeah. So we get the call at one thirty. We get in the rescue unit and we get there. And I'm putting my stuff on. Unlike a fire truck, you can't really get your stuff on in a rescue unit. You get as much as you can on, and then when you get there, you get the rest on. So we get every. I put my pants, my jacket, everything, my air pack, my helmet, my gloves, and so we go up to the front door. And uh, I'll never forget the line. The engine crew was already in there putting the fire out. Thing was boiling smoke. I mean, just rolling. And uh, I remember going up to the front door and uh, going up the steps, stopping at the front door. And I was taking a deep breath. And, and uh, well, I had gone in the front door and I clicked my mask in. And, you know, you stick it in and click it. And I had went in and I was breathing heavy, man. I was just, everything was, adrenaline was rushing, everything was going. Yeah. So I stepped in and, and the smoke was banked down really low. And you could look at the pictures and see how low the smoke was. So I said, I'm going to take a deep breath calm down, calm my breathing down, and I'm going to go back there and help them. So I took a deep breath, 
let it out. And then I said, I'm going to do one more. And, man, I went – I'm talking about, man, I was going to get a good breath. And when I went to go suck in, man, I'm talking about I was – everything I had. Well, at that moment, I started sucking in, my mask popped off. And it was an instant – because I've had my mask or my regulator come out, and I wasn't breathing. I was able to kind of hold my breath till I got out. Yeah. But, man, when I breathed in – all, all that smoke, all the smoke, the toxins, and all the gas and all the steam went into my lungs. And mm. I went back and looked up uh, an article from Firehouse back in 2000. It's a toxicology report of a fire fatality. And man, I read that and saw, I mean, cyanide, all, I mean, carpet, you got wood, carpet, metals, plastics, all that stuff's burning and combusting. So I inhaled that. And at the time, they were putting water on the fire so we had steam and it was probably anywhere from upwards of six seven maybe close to a thousand degrees yeah and i inhaled that and at that moment i realized something's wrong i knew something was wrong and uh i went into fight or flight mode and i ripped my helmet off i ripped my mask off and it was so much uh it, it, it was so much at one time that i became so disoriented Mm. I didn't know where I was. I felt like I could walk through a wall and run through a wall, but because I was just like... Adrenaline's pumping. And so I ripped my helmet, I ripped my mask off, and I just started screaming and uh, as loud as I can. And uh, I was trying to call Mayday, but, man, I was just so confused. And, you know, people say, why don't you do this and do that? Man, I just... It was just everything I could do just to, you know, maintain just, it. Just, yeah, just to stay and So I saw... I remember... From what I remember, I remember seeing light... And I thought it was a doorway, but it was a window. And so when I went after that window, I went into a room, and I was trapped in that room. And mm. uh, I remember, you know, just screaming at the top of my lungs and just beating on the walls. And, um, you know, we had some guys that were in that fire that had uh, helmet cameras. So you got visual and audio of a lot of things right. and then radio traffic and stuff like that. But um, after that, I, I don't really remember, but I can now tell you because of those videos and audios and stuff like that. So I don't remember anything after that. Um, I was stuck in that room. And if you go back and listen to the audio, you can hear me screaming. Wow. And uh, the scream, um, the scream is like a scream of, um, you know, I'm about to die. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, I'm pretty sure, I don't know what I was thinking at the moment, but it was like, this is it. Mm. Um, and I'm just screaming. I'm talking my help to the top of my lungs and uh, beating, you know, beating on the, I was beating on the wall so hard that the people in the other room putting the fire out, the suppression crew, thought the house was collapsing. And they can't, you know, it's just, uh, just a whole lot going on. Yeah. And uh, that was it. Uh, you hear me scream about two or three times and then... um you don't hear anything else. You just hear like just gasping for breath. Like I was just struggling to breathe. And, um, and so that was it. I collapsed under a table in that front room. Um, and it seems like probably to most of everybody minutes, hours, but it was just seconds. And the crew that was putting the fire out was backing out. And we had a Lieutenant that was at the back door doing this 360 and he heard me screaming we thought it was a victim so he was putting his stuff on yeah. to try to get in had another crew coming in to see what was going on well they 
they still didn't know it was me at the time. And, um, you know, it wasn't until, because even with the flashlight, you know, they, they find me. Was your pass going off? No, it wasn't going off. Because okay. I, I, I was moving some, sure. I think. Sure. Uh, and so they, they, they see me, and my face is solid black. And they just, they're just, things are not, you know, and finally they realize this is a fireman. Still, they don't know it's me. Um, it was probably six, six of them. That it, it took them to get me out. And, uh, you know, they get me out into the more controlled environment. Yeah. They put oxygen on me. And, um, you know, some of the guys thought that, you know, I was dead. Cause I wasn't, I was just pretty much limp, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're dragging me out, you know, and they're screaming and you could hear the guys in the video and, uh, my wife won't watch it this day and I understand. Sure. Yeah. But they're screaming my name. I meant like screaming my name. And I mean, they're just, you know, it's just in that moment, you know, they're just, it's just, it's like, man, he's dead, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so you finally hear me say, what? You know, and, and so now they're like, okay, this, he's, get, he, he's not. And so they get me out into the front yard and they put oxygen on me. And uh, and uh, and so I was on Rescue 19. Rescue 19 was sitting in, in, on the on the corner right there. Well, Rescue 12 was coming back from the hospital. They responded. And um, so they put me on Rescue 19 stretcher. Rescue 12 pulled up. They threw me in the back of the Rescue 12. And the police officer shut the interstates and all the roads down. And they took me to the hospital. Yeah. And then we, let's shift gears a little bit. And um, we've been in a house one night. My wife was asleep with our kids, and uh, the phone rings, two fourteen. It's uh, Jamie Williams. He's in the back of the rescue unit, and um, and then uh, he says, "Hey, I got Andrew. He was hurting the fire. He's talking. Uh, you know, you just need to come to UAB. You know, check him out. He inhaled some smoke, and then Jamie." I don't remember none of this, but Jamie asked me, he said, what do you want me to tell her? I said, well, just tell her, take your time, get down there. You know, I was talking some, but I was still yeah. very incoherent, but I was, it was the oxygen that was kind of clearing my mind up some. And so she calls her dad, her dad picks her up. She comes to the hospital. She's thinking in her mind, I'm going to get down there and I'm going to talk to him and, you know, everything's going to be fine. We're going to be here two or three days. Yeah. Cautionary, you know, whatever. And man, she gets to the hospital and there's nothing but white shirts everywhere all chief department battalion chief deputy chief assistant chiefs uh rescue units police officers and she's like you know what is all this well they said you know hey we need you to come in this room you know then then the thoughts start rushing she's like where's my husband at you know and so she goes back there and she gets back there and i'm i'm innovated and uh my face is solid black the whole room smells like smoke and she's like you know what happened you know and uh, he, he was talking and everything like that. And so uh, they had to intubate me because of the burns were so bad. They, mm-hmm. It was a lot worse than what they thought it was. Yeah. And so she gets back there and uh, they said, well, we're going to do precautionary three days, two days. We're going to watch the swelling and everything. Well, that turned into a 12-day stay at the ICU. Mm-hmm. My lungs completely shut down. Uh, they stopped. They collapsed twice. They had to come in there and bag me and, and you know, get my lungs back going Holy again. Uh, you know, the doctors literally came in at one point and talked to my wife and said, look, we're we're almost out of options. We're, yeah. we're, we're, we're fixing to have to go to a lung transplant. 
that we, 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 there's nothing else that we can do, you know, and it, the only thing left was the rotor prone bed, which they don't even have it no more, is where they flip you upside yeah. down for like 17 hours. And, uh, and so they did that. And then that was the, the pivotal point of my life changing and it was begin when i began to rebound and start to improve and stuff like that now uh those 12 days i don't remember none of them but man there was uh there was a lot of things uh going on in those 12 days and if you was to ask me i personally believe that there was a spiritual battle going on yeah that we can't see mm-hmm. no no eye could see and i believe that the devil and all of his demons were trying to take me out. Yeah. I believe it with all of my heart. And, um, but I believe that, you know, I know I serve a good God and I believe that God is the author and finisher of my faith. He says when it's time mm-hmm. and I believe that it, it wasn't time for me. And, you know, and there was a lot of things going on outside the hospital. There's a lot of things going on in, in, in on Facebook and, and, and stuff like that. They had a prayer vigil. Thousands of people praying. Oh, yeah, and thousands of people praying, you know, and my wife was just, I'm talking about, she walked in the ER that night, and she didn't leave at all until 20-something days later when I, she walked out with me. And um, I about died. I mean, yeah. just, just not to come out blunt, but. I yeah. almost died. The doctors, uh, the doctor said, you know, I was seconds away. And I'll tell you this story real quick. I was seconds away from death. When I got to the hospital, they drew my blood gla- uh, blood gas levels, and they, and they check all the things in your blood. And my carbon hemoglobin was like, um, I don't want to mess these numbers up, upper 20s. How much carbon monoxide was in my blood was in the upper 20. People who die in a house fire are around 30 range, and I was in the upper 20. Mm. And uh, the doctor said, we have to get this number down, and we have to get it down immediately. And uh, my pastor, Brother Steve, you know, I keep talking about him. Um, he um, he uh, he sent out a text message to some other friends of his. Hey, we need to pray now. We need to pray right now. It's 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And so they started praying and, and you know, praying specifically for that you yeah. know within an hour i think my levels had dropped down to like the six range you know mm. and god and, and i believe that god had his hands you know i had a faithful mother who who loved the lord and who was praying i had yeah. a brother uh many of y'all know my brother brandon yeah, I know Brandon. um who prayed and who was there and uh man he reached out with his wife and his church he goes to the church of the highlands and yeah. so there was just so many people praying, and I believe and I, to this day, Stephen, to this day, I see people in Walmart or wherever, like, "Hey, man, I was praying for you in the hospital." I was like, "Well, thank you because of that. That's why I'm where I'm at today." And um, but you know, I want to share this, and uh, maybe this will be impactful to somebody, or maybe this will touch somebody. But when I was in that fire, and that moment occurred. I didn't have any time to say time out. That's right. I didn't have any time to say, Lord, wait a minute, stop. Lord, I'm sorry. I, Lord, I repent of my sins. God, God, would you save me? Would you Would you allow your son Jesus to come in and just radically transform me and then say, okay, we can go back to it. Guys, I went from 100 miles an hour to zero just like that. In one breath. In basically. one breath. It was, it, was, it was said. It was final. And here's the thing, the life that I have lived, that I had lived up to that moment, would define the outcome of where I would have spent eternity. 
just like that. I didn't have any time to re- I didn't have any time to do anything. And so we think, well, I'm just going to wait till I'm on my deathbed where I'm just going to wait until I get sick. Well, guys, here's the deal. We we don't have that opportunity or privilege to say when we're going to be on a deathbed or if we even make it to that point. That's right. You know, the Bible says that in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 20 said, it's pointed unto man once to die, then after that is to judgment. Every one of us, there's one thing I can guarantee every human being on this earth is that you're going to die. And also that you're going to spend somewhere in an eternity. And I try to tell people all the time, I didn't have a time to make a decision. And so if I would have lived my life, if I wouldn't have given my life to Jesus on January the 6th, 2013, and that, and that night was my night to go, and it was my night that God says, okay, this is it. And so I would have spent an eternity in hell forever. But, you know, God wasn't done with me yet. And my wife will tell you that she had peace knowing says if this is if this is my if this is the will for you for my husband, then mm-hmm. I know where he's gonna be. Yeah. Where he's gonna get the glory and he's gonna get the praise and the honor and everything like that. So, you know, looking back now, um, you know, I shared some of this with you guys earlier about my wife and uh, our prayer. I was a children's pastor at the time, 2015, working at Birmingham, uh, loving the Lord, man, serving, preaching, reaching, everything I could do. And we were, we was just praying, just say, hey, you know, Lord, let us have more time in the ministry. That's right. Let us have more time in the ministry. My heart was in the ministry. And so, um, you know, people ask me, too, were you mad at God? Do you blame God? And I said, absolutely not. Because of God, I'm here today. It wasn't right. God that did that. Now, God allowed that. But, you know, we understand that God also allowed Joseph to be sold into slavery, too. Mm-hmm. God also allowed Joseph to become second in command of Pharaoh. Why? Because he knew later on his dad and all his brothers would need help. They would need help. Yeah. And so God allowed him to be in that situation, just like God allowed that to happen, because I believe that God is a beautiful, beautiful creator. He is He is the master painter. And it, it, if you look at a painting... That, that 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 artist has it in his mind. He knows what the finished product looks like. We don't, That's but right. he does. And when he first starts watching, me and my son watch Bob Ross all the time. Love him, <laughs> yes, dude. Well, straight ha- up, happy tree. Come on, happy tree. Everybody loves a happy tree. Happy, yeah. And so <laughs> when he starts, it's like, what is this? But when he finishes, it's a masterpiece. Oh yeah. And so God knows the ending of our life. He knows the expected end. He knows what's going to transpire. And I believe God knew in the long run that there was going to be a platform, an opportunity for me to stand on his word, to go before Garndale First Baptist and churches all around this area to proclaim the gospel and to tell them I'm here today because of one person. His name's Jesus. Mm. Jesus saved me. He's given me another chance. And now I want to tell you about what he can do in your life. You know, there's a picture of a handprint on the wall that I shared at Garndale First Baptist and someone had took it the next day. And it was my hand. And uh, it was on the smoke wall, and you could see it kind of my handprint. You know, I was like, there's many people today that probably have their handprint, handprints on the walls of hell that were thinking, I wish I could make another decision. I wish I could go back and redo it. I wish, I wish, just like the rich man, I wish someone would bring me one drop of water. You know, and they have those unsatisfaction moments, and they have those regrets, and they have those things that, that are never be that are never be fulfilled That's right. because of the decision that they made on earth. And I try to tell people, I said, guys, we have the greatest opportunity right now, and that's to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. I said, what 
greater love, what greater moment could anybody ever see in their life than someone who said, you know what? I'll come and I'll take your death. I'll take your punishment. I'll pay your penalty. I'll do all that for you. Why? Because I love you. Because I, simply because I love you. I told the kids last night we started a Ten Commandments series and we were, we went through the Ten Commandments and we did a summary last night with the kids and I said if you look at these Ten Commandments I said every one of them says we're sinner. Yeah. Every one of them says we are we are damned to a death in hell. We cannot uphold these. That's right. We can't. I said, but what is the bigger picture of these Ten Commandments? It says that we need a Savior. Mm. And so Jesus came, and he fulfilled these laws and became, the Bible says, every man that hangs on a tree, cursed is every man that hangs on a tree. He became a curse to the sin and death. That way we could be freed from the curse of, and, the, and, 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 the, and the law of death. That's right. Now we could come under the law of grace and have everlasting life. I said, what greater, what greater example is that? And so that's my passion. Um, that's my heart. Uh, to try to tell people about Jesus. Uh, if there's any, if there's ever been a time that the world needs Jesus, unless you have your head up under the rock or under the sand, it's now. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, what what a story. I mean, from from start to finish, that's uh, like you said, that's that's a canvas that God's been painting. And then little did you know, with you and your family, your your five brothers, what it would look like. But I mean, even even up to today, you're being able to share of once again and fulfilling what that letter what god said you was going to be doing you're still doing it and that's the encouraging thing is is you'll go do it again tomorrow lord willing and the next day and the next day so it's encouraging it's going to speak to a lot of people of just saying that you know you can have the job that you wanted your dream and god can allow something to happen but it's still for his glory for his kingdom there's still purpose behind it you know people say well are you mad at god no there's still kingdom purpose and if uh, that's because your mindset your heart is in the right place of saying Whatever this world gives us or affords us to go through is still about Jesus. You know, I, I, I left this out. I want to share this real quick. Uh, you, you know, I'll never forget the fire chief at the time, Chief Gordon. He's mm -hmm. retired. A uh, very dear friend of mine. We've become very close. He said, Andrew, I'll never forget getting that phone call, you know, of, you know, of this accident. He said, but in my mind, all I could think about is when I get to the hospital, the family, you know, because here I am the chief of the department and they're going to look at me like, you know, you know, and so I was preparing myself for what was to be said to me, you know, whether it be good, bad, it didn't matter. You know, he figured there would be some animosity or some anger or some bitterness. He said, he said, man, when I walked in there and I saw your wife, he said, you know, and I, and I saw something in her that was different, you know, and you could talk to the nurses and the doctors. He said, when we came by your room, there was something different. My wife and, you know, it's, <laughs> She had taken a marker in the NICU or the MICU, and they had like a, a walls that were glass and stuff. But she had taken a marker, and literally on every wall, she had wrote scripture. And they had these "God loves you" bracelets made up, and people yeah. had them. And 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 the MICU is a place of gloom, and people, mm -hmm. most people go there. It's just you know that's their last step. He said, when we came into this room, there was life. He said, the chief said, when I came in and I saw your wife, you know, there was a smile and there was a hug. There was no, nobody blamed us. Nobody blamed nobody. This was an accident. You know, and accidents happen to people who are living their life, who are serving and seeking out God right. with everything they have, who are being a good father, who are being a good mother, uh, you know, doing what God has called them to do. Accidents happen to those people. 
People like that get cancer. People like that get killed in car wrecks. People like that deal with sufferings and loss of loved ones. They do. But it's what we do in those moments that defines who we are. It's how we stand and how we carry ourselves in those moments. And it's in those moments when a loved one is dying. It's in those moments when you feel like there's no hope. There's no there's feel like there's nowhere else that you can go. The weight of the world is on you is when we start standing strong because of Jesus. Because Paul said this perfectly. He said, your grace is sufficient for me. And in my weakness, your strength is made perfect. And that's one thing that my wife told you. She said, there was days, Andrew, I didn't know how I was going to wake up and go sit in that hospital bed. There was days that I didn't even sleep. I didn't eat. I didn't do nothing. But it was solely by the grace and the strength of Jesus Christ that got us through. And now we can look back and share those moments and share our testimony because the Bible clearly says in Revelations that, that we overcome by That's the right. blood of the Lamb. And it goes on to say this, by the words of our testimony. That's right. And God has given me a testimony, and now I want to be a steward of that testimony and share it because someone else may be walking in those very same shoes or yeah. very same situation. Well, I, I'll say this. Normally we uh, – this incredible story. I mean, just phenomenal. And, and normally we – we kind of end a podcast with, hey, you know, if, if you could challenge the, the audience, the people that are listening with something, but I, I think we need to go in a different direction. I think that, you know, we've heard the gospel throughout this entire story. I think, Andrew, if you could just, if there's somebody out there that's listening that doesn't know Christ and, and, and they want to give their life to Christ right now, yeah. could you lead them in a prayer? Absolutely. You know, the Bible says that uh, in Romans 10, 9, 10, those who believe with their heart, confess with their mouth, they shall be saved. Romans 10, 13, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord. That whosoever, you know, I'm a whosoever. Yeah. You're a whosoever. You're right. a whosoever. Whosoever calls upon the Lord. And so, listen, if you if you hear this, if you're at the sound of my voice, you say, well, I, I'm not sure about my salvation. I'm not sure where I'm at. I want to lead you in a prayer, and 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 it's it's got to be from the heart. It's not the words that says it. it's it's the person who does the saving. It's Jesus Christ. But I want to kind of instruct you, and I want to lead you in a prayer. And so, if you would just say these words, say, Lord, Lord, come into my heart. Lord, I pray that you would come into my life and save me with your eternal blood. God, thank you for your Son Jesus, who was on the cross. God, thank you for dying for my sins, and taking my place. God, would you restore me, redeem me, and make me a new creation? God, would you set me on fire for your gospel? God, would you give me a purpose to go after your word and go after the loss like never before? God, open my eyes to the greatness and the goodness that you have. God, I love you with all of my heart. And God, again, thank you for saving me and making me a disciple unto your kingdom. Lord, I pray right now for those who have said the prayer. God, I pray for the two here that are sitting with me who have a passion to hear the testimonies and, and to put it out on podcasts and other areas. God, what a great opportunity this is to share the gospel and the message of hope that we have. God, those who are sitting there, maybe even listen, who feel like, you know what, I am saved, but I feel like I just... I don't have any hope. I feel like the devil has depleted me. I feel like the world has sucked me dry. I want you to know that you don't have to walk that way. There's victory in the name of Jesus. And the Bible says that we know 
that we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. The devil was defeated at the cross of Calvary. And as a Christian, as a believer and a follower of Christ, we know we have that power and authority invested in us through the Holy Spirit of God. I pray that you would hold on to the Word of God, trust in the Holy Spirit, and cry out to Him because He cares for you. We know there's no greater love. And God, I pray that you would touch these people in these moments. And God, I pray that you would move in a way that only you could move because you are high, seated on a throne and in complete control of everything in every moment. God, thank you again for your precious, darling Son, Jesus Christ. We love you with all of our hearts. And we ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Man, that's, that's incredible. That's good stuff. I have nothing else to offer. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. That, that's, Andrew, thank you so much for joining thank you. the show. And, um, you know, it's it's been an honor listening to you. It's been an honor just knowing you. You know, obviously we've known each other for a long time. But uh, I'm going to share this, this, this real quick. A long time ago, probably like, I don't know, 12 years ago, God put on my heart to, to write down people's names that I should be praying for, you know. And, and it was people who, who I thought, you know, they need a relationship with Christ, and I knew that God could do something. Your name was one of them. Amen. And I, I, I told Brent earlier this morning, I was like, if I could find that notebook, man, I, it could, awesome. it's, it's probably at Mom's house somewhere. Yeah. But I, I used to pray for you. Yeah. I used to pray that God would radically change and save your life. Amen. And, and there, was, there was other guys, too, that I pray for, and it's funny. There's three or four of those guys that are in the ministry right now. That's awesome. That, that's just, it's, it's fun. And I'm not saying God did that because I was praying. Right. But God put it on my heart to pray, Amen. you know, and um, it's just so incredible to see God using you in such a phenomenal way each and every single day. And and how many lives that that God touched through your story, you know, I mean, there were thousands and thousands of people praying, you know, when, when that accident happened. And so just to see where, where God has brought you, it's a miracle. It's all, man, I, you know, I give all the glory to him. I mean, I get up there and preach and I mess my words up and I may fumble a scripture and I may say the words backwards or as I did last sermon I preached, I used a double negative in one of my PowerPoint slides and <laughs> I got done. Like, That's a great message, but you, that was a double negative. I'm like, double what? Yeah. You know, you know, but you can't triple stamp, double stamp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No quinces. And, uh, but, uh, yes. but, uh, you know, but, and I'll cry and I'll, sling snot and you know and I'll, I'll you know but you know what it's it's about you know it's about my heart yeah i'd rather listen to someone get up there and cry and and mess up their words and know that they're that they're seeking out jesus than the someone that's who right. goes there and pronounce everything perfectly but have no passion that's right and no spirit you know what i mean yeah. and so i'm just thankful for the opportunity to be able to do what i do you know what i mean i i'm not perfect at it and uh but god keeps opening up doors um, yeah keeps giving me opportunities and man every time the door opens i'm gonna step in you know i'm like uh i you know i'm like the uh you know kind of like peter and john when they were in the temple after they healed the lame man you know they they laid hands on them and were fixing to arrest them but they said they perceived that they're ignorant and unlearned people may say that about me you may be ignorant boy and unlearned <laughs> but then in the very next verse it says that they perceived that their they took notice of their boldness and knew that they had been with jesus and that's my prayer when i come into a room or come into a opportunity i pray that people would know that hey this man's been with jesus and when i leave i pray they're not talking about andrew i pray that they're talking about jesus that's good yeah my, my last you, challenge is is tell them what you know man that that was very well said so your story matters if you're listening 
Just tell them what you know, guys. Gospel's enough. Thank you for listening to the There's More podcast. Special thanks goes out to Andrew Johnson. He's a children's pastor at North Highland Baptist Church in Warrior, Alabama. What an incredible story we heard today. Hey, if you made a decision for Christ, we want to know about it. Send us an email, there'smorepodcast at gmail.com. Just let us know that you made a decision for Christ. We want to celebrate with you. We want to give you some next steps, what to do in your walk with the Lord. So let us know about it, there'smorepodcast at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to check out Send Me Refuge. It's a mission outreach organization in Tapachula, Mexico. You can visit their website, sendmerefuge.com, for more information. Hey, thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next time.